The following message is brought to you by Blue Ridge Christian Church in Mills River, North Carolina, helping people find their home in God. If you'd like to know more about the church, please visit www.blueridgecc.org. Hey, this morning we're going to be looking at Psalm 32. If you have your Bibles, we can flip open to Psalm 32. If not, we'll put the words up on the screen behind us. Um, it's nice people open their Bible because then you're fact-checking. You're like, he said that, but... Oh, wait, it does say that. He's right. Yeah, so I always appreciate that. But I know I do also like it when, um, you know, we got fact-checkers in the church. And uh, they'll send me emails. Hey, you said this. What about this? And I love that. Because as a pastor, you know, you spend hours and hours a week preparing a sermon and uh, for someone to engage with. it. It's like, wow, great, this is fun. So, um, man, did I just open the door for, like, all... You know, wow. All right, you can find my address is jimwooten at gmail. Uh, <laughs> Uh, please send me all, all your opinions about everything. That'd be great. Um, nope, I'm not Jim Wooten. Brian Chadwick, I'm glad you're here. Thank you for joining us. Uh, let's dig into Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. We're wrapping up our series called Draw Near. And the idea is that in 2020, we want to draw near to God. Now, not in a superficial sense so we can feel really good about ourselves to, oh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm praying more, I'm doing more, more and more biblical things. No, 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 no. But because there's this theme that runs throughout the entire Bible of people like you and me who face hardships and difficulties and fears and challenges and enemies and just, just the harshness of life. And they are able to navigate these difficult waters and and whatever comes their way, not because they're so smart, not because they're so talented or lucky. They're able to navigate these things because they had a deep and rooted relationship with God. Over and over and over, we're able to see people who go through incredible lows in life. Sometimes these lows are external, sometimes they're internal, things that they've done. And you've got to think, how do they bounce back from that? How did they come back from that? You see, a person's ability to endure anything in life comes from how real God is in their life. Psalm 32 is a psalm written by a man named David. If you're not familiar with David, the Bible kind of waxes and wanes with him a little bit, right? On the one hand, the Bible tells us that David was, was a man after God's own heart. I mean, he, he wrote the hymnal Of the Bible, the Psalms, the majority of them are penned by him. And at the same time, we also know this about David. Is that while everybody else was away at war, the King David 
decided to stay home. And while he stayed home, he saw a woman named Bathsheba, who was not his wife. And he took her and he laid with her. Then when she became pregnant, he realized, oh no, what do I got to do? So he calls Bathsheba's husband home from war to try to get them to, to have a date night. Uriah wouldn't have anything to do with it because he's like, it's not fair for me to go on a date night when all my brothers are out there fighting. Look at you, David. <laughs> David, wheels start turning and he thinks, I've got to figure out what to do about this. I know, I'll have them removed. And David sends Uriah to the front lines of a battle that he knows he's going to lose. Tells him to take the hill that's already lost. And in a sense, plots Uriah's murder. And the thing is, Uriah wasn't even a stranger. Uriah was one of his friends. This guy, man after God's own heart, adulterer, plotter, murderer, deceiver. How does somebody who falls that far bounce back? I'm guessing you have not called somebody away from the battlefield in order to cover up your sins and then later have them executed. But I, wouldn't, I would think that many of us do have things in our lives that cause us great shame, embarrassment, sins that we hope nobody will ever find out about. Even the person next to you who's been with you for a long time, you just hope maybe they forgot about that or they'll never bring that up again or I'm still trying to hide it from them. How do we as Christians navigate the waters, the choppy, harsh waters of life? Not only the bad things that happen around us, but the bad things in our lives that come from us. Here we have David writing Psalm 32. A man who is very aware of his sin and his failures. How does he come back? Well... To David, God's presence and his reality was deeply connected to him. Knowing God allowed David to endure external suffering, to embrace patience, to forgive others, and to even find forgiveness for what he has done. You know, when you've messed up, when you know you failed, when you know it's your fault, how do you get back up again? How do you look at that person in the eye again? How do you get back up after you've fallen in such a way that not only are you standing on your feet again, but that you stand up with more joy and more power than before? How do you get up not broken and crippled and actually worse shaped than before, but better? How do you do that? That's the question I want to look at this morning. Because David is fascinating. Because sometimes we can limit David to be this, uh, like, I don't know, Sunday school caricature. Like, be like David. He slayed Goliath. Okay. But David was a real human being. Just as much as you are a real human being. The things that he dealt with, yeah, in different scales, in different places, in different situations. But fear, the desire to hide, the desire to cover up. The desire to divide people, to take sides, to justify our actions, are just like us. So how does David bounce back? And in 2020, how do we bounce back from maybe 2019? Or when the things come into our lives in the future that are going to knock us on our knees, how do we stand back up? The answer 
You might not. You, you <laughs> Last week was fasting. And I know that's not very popular. I decided to just keep digging my hole and start talking about confession. Fasting and confession. How to grow a church. And <laughs> Two things Americans don't like to do is not eat and not admit when we've done something wrong. Maybe that's why we need a message like this. Maybe it's why I need a message like this. Why is confession needed? It's talked about over and over and over in the Bible. Why, why is it even important? Did you remember what it said in verse 1? Let's go back to verse 1. It says, Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Man, sometimes, I don't know, maybe when you read the words, blessed is, yada, yada, you just, like, just roll through it. Because Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is blessed is the poor, blessed are the meek, blessed are the poor, blessed, blessed, blessed. And it just kind of sounds nice and churchy and fluffy and like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's slow down for a second and look at what blessedness is. David considers himself a man who needed forgiveness, whose sins needed covering. And he goes so far as to say, is blessed is this kind of man. It's pretty radical, this idea of blessing. Because what we normally take, uh, take for blessing is this idea that, oh, Good is the man who does these things, or happy will the person be who does these things. The Hebrew understanding of blessedness is much deeper than just, hey, you're going to feel a little bit better or have a better morning because of this. It goes way deeper than that, meaning it's a complete wellness of being. That when you are blessed, you are experiencing profound fulfillment. It's more than happiness. It's wholeness. And David comes out and opens up this psalm by saying, blessedness begins and belongs to the forgiven. If you are not feeling the wholeness, the blessedness in life, it might be because I haven't experienced forgiveness. Jesus talks about this when he is at a dinner party. In Luke chapter 7, this guy Simon invites Jesus over for dinner. And everybody's sitting around eating, talking, everybody. And in the middle of the dinner, a woman walks in. And she begins to anoint Jesus' head with oil. Jesus' feet are dirty, so she's, she's cleaning them with her hair and using her tears to kind of, you know, make a solution. To, um, it's, it's weird and kind of gross. But what is she doing? I mean, if somebody did that in here, whoa. But in the first century, this was a great honor to somebody to anoint them with oil and to wash their feet. Simon, the host of the party, looks at Jesus and says, whoa, Jesus, if you knew the, the woman who was doing this, you would be, you'd be flabbergasted. You, you wouldn't let her do it. Do you know what Jesus says to her? Uh, says to Simon? He allows the woman to wash her feet. And this is what he says. He says, therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Jesus is looking at Simon and saying, Simon, the reason you didn't anoint my uh, head with oil, the reason you didn't have anybody or yourself wash my feet when I came in here, the reason you didn't give me any honor is because you feel like there is nothing or so little that you need to be forgiven of. And that, that is, is, is why 
you're not having this experience that this woman is having. That's why you love little. Like, here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, the most loving people you know, the most compassionate people, and hear what David is saying, the happiest, most blessed, the fulfilled people, are people who have been the most forgiven. If, if, you, if you meet somebody who feels like they do not need to be forgiven of anything, they are lopsided as a human being. You know, you, I mean, you can just, you just, you just listen to them and talk with them, and, and they've never done anything wrong. Oh, I'm sure they might be a victim. I mean, everybody's done wrong to them, but they've never been responsible for any of the wrong that's in their life. They're angry and they're bitter. They look at other people, they're their enemy, and if you have mistakes in your life, well, that's your fault, and you didn't handle it the way I handle it, and it's always me up here and you down here. They have, they have almost no trace of compassion or gentleness or empathy inside of them. And why? Why is it that their life lacks the abundance, the joy, the, the, the laughter, the fullness that Jesus offers us? Because to them, they don't have much to be forgiven of. You know, if you have a problem with forgiveness, then it's likely you're blind to your own sin and failures. And it's possible that you haven't experienced the forgiveness of God. Think about that. How, how well do you do with forgiving other people? All right. That's, hard. That's a hard question now because right now we're like, oh, I'm not that great. We, we, that's how I feel that way. But let's turn it up to 11. How, how well do you do at forgiving yourself? I think if we took a poll, what's easier, forgive somebody else or forgive yourself? Should we take hands? Probably not. You know what David said in verse 3? He said, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For night and day your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sat as in the heat of summer. David's saying, look, here is a man who's confessed, blessed, because his transgressions have been forgiven. How was I before that? I was a, a, a skeleton of a person. I wasn't whole. I wasn't complete. I was parched. I was dry. I felt like the weight of the world, no, the weight of God's heavy hand was on me. My bones wasted away all day long. You ever heard of the word baggage? Not checked baggage, but emotional baggage. How we carry around with us the sin and the shame and the mistakes that we've carried our whole lives. And the problem is, is we keep getting older. What's up with that? Nobody told me I was going to happen. Of course it happens. And the older we get, the more opportunities we have for mistakes, for failures, for more things to carry on us and weigh us down throughout life. To the point we get to 35, 45, 65, we have so many skeletons in, in, in our closet, we need to start charging rent. And what does that do to us? 
It twists us. Because you engage with somebody, you meet somebody, you're like, oh, hey, Chuck, how you doing? Hey, I'm good. And all I want to do is keep it superficial with Chuck. Because if Chuck ever learned who I was then, or what I did there, or what I thought this place, if he ever learned that, then he would be so shocked, so stunned, so aghast, that uh, he, probably, he probably wouldn't think I'm smart, or funny, or, or a good preacher. Da, 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 da. And, and then, oh man, if he doesn't think that, then what am I? So all of us are walking around all the time with these skeletons in our closet, with this baggage that we're carrying around, and it's weighing us down. It's, 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 it's like we're just outside, and, and you know, like outside, you, know, like you mow the yard, and like, you got that like part, that dryness in your mouth, you're like, you know, and like, man, it, and you go inside and you drink water and it's like the choir of angels are just like, ah, and you're just like, ah, this is the living water. No, that's tap water. Um, but for many of us, we walk around our whole lives so parched and so dry, not just in our mouths, but in our spirits. So thirsty, but unwilling to go get the drink. This blessedness that David is talking about is foreign to us. I mean, we don't feel whole. We feel fractured. We feel scared. We feel fragile as we go through life, like like we're breakable at any moment. And I want to tell you that that is not the life that God wants for you, nor has called you to. I mean, what prevents us from finding this forgiveness and engaging in confession? In verse 1, remember the second part of it? He says, blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven. Blessed is the one whose sins are covered. He's, David, being Jewish, is calling the reader back to the first time humanity was covered. For those who were here at 930, you remember when that was, right? Genesis what? Through thank you. I mean, if man, you guys were quiet. I was just, I quit. No, uh, Genesis 3, Adam and Eve rebel against God. And the first thing they do is they run away, they hide, and they cover their nakedness because they've finally been exposed. They make little fig leaves. They hide and they cover. And I feel like for many of us, we spend our days hiding and covering ourselves so people won't see us. What if somebody found out, I'm a fake I'm a phony, I'm a hypocrite, I'm a bad mom, I'm a bad dad, I'm not a great husband, I'm not a great wife, I'm not the son my parents wanted me to be, I'm not the, I'm not the parent my children expect me to be. And we just like, one, at one moment, the, the light's going to come on and everybody's going to see the sham that I am. So how do we hide? We'll go through this quick. We hide when we shed the blame. You ever notice this? I mean, here's, here's an amazing thing that David says. In light of what David has done, you know what he says? He says in verse 5, he goes, you know, I've walked through the valley. I've, I felt so alone. I felt I was so parched. Here's what I did in verse 5. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover up my iniquity. He's saying, Lord, I came to you, and I stopped trying to hide. I stopped trying to justify. I stopped trying to blame other people for my choices and my sin. Man, how many of us try to cover our tail when we've done something wrong? Well, I wouldn't have said that to you, but you made me so angry. Well, I didn't want to do that, but, but they were there and everybody else was doing that. And if I didn't do it, I was going to miss out on the opportunity, so I did it too. Guys, watch out for buds. 
Watch out for big butts. Come on, that was cheap. <laughs> Watch out for those big butts in your life that come in when you're, when you're in the middle. I mean, spouses, you are, we are like dialed into this, right? When your spouse comes to you to apologize for something you did, you better not, not hear that three-letter B-U-T word, right? Because what does it do? It totally sweeps the legs of the apology. I'm coming to you, hey, I am sorry, I did this, I said this, I didn't do the thing I said I was going to do, I'm really sorry, it was a bonehead move, just, just jump away, get out of it now, guys, you've, you've, you've done it. But there's something inside of us that can't let us turn around. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that, I should have done more, I should have kept my promise. But, 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 and you've just lost it. The entire confession, the entire apology, all the meaning that was in it is now gone. Why? Because what you're doing is you're saying, hey, I've done something wrong, but it's not as bad as we want to make it because my circumstances are you or the things or the or my parents or whatever, and I wasn't hugged, I was hugged too much. And, all. and we just, not David. David comes to the Lord and he says, I acknowledged my sin to you and I didn't cover up my iniquity. You know, we often hide by putting distance between us and other people. Uh, our culture is, is not conducive to relationships. Uh, I mean, we've got apps right now where you can just meet somebody online and you don't even have to have a first date with them, but you can just hook up with them because that's what the app is for. We have social media where we can engage with like 560 friends on your Facebook. 80 of them have liked a picture that you said, but nobody knows how your day is. Nobody knows what's going on in your life. Nobody knows how your family's falling apart. Nobody knows how you're so frustrated at your job. We have, we have our, our culture, and I'm not here to be like, oh, our culture, grumpy, grumpy. No, I love social media. It's great. You know, there's definitely goods and bads about it. But what I'm here to say is that it's not conducive for us to have relationships with other people. Friendships. People who actually know you. People who actually have access into your life who can ask you the hard questions, who can challenge you with hard truths. We don't like that. Somebody comes to tell me and says, hey, you shouldn't talk to your kids like that. You know what I say? Who are you? You don't know my kids. You don't know me. They could be 100% right, and I shouldn't say that to my kids, but I don't want to agree with them. I don't want to listen to them. Who are you to tell me what to do? We're resistant to that. We don't let anyone in. We don't want anyone to see who we are, how vulnerable we are, how scared we are, how much we struggle, how conflicted we are. We want to put on a strong face, a beautiful face, a perfect face. So, you know, I think I told you about this, uh, this breakthrough that, that the Lord worked through me in a couple of like six or seven months ago. Um, I was out with my kids and we're at like Chick-fil-A and, you know, I like to take pictures and me and my kids. And my kids were total grumps, right? And I'm trying to take this picture, and they don't want to take the picture. They're like, oh, you know, like, you know, they want to make stupid faces or growl or scowl or whatever. And I'm like, no, come on, guys, it'll be fun. I'm trying to work it up. I'm like, let's take a picture. And I take like, like, like I take like 20 pictures because you know, with the phones now, you just hold it down, Brrr, you know, whatever. Film. What was that? Um, you can't explain film to a generation now. 
So now, uh, uh, you, you uh, take all these pictures, and they're all terrible. And I finally get one that's decent. That's the one I upload. People start liking. I'm like, oh, look, people liking this picture, guys. And then it hits me like a train. I'm trying to put on this pretty face. So you know what I do? I start uploading the, the terrible pictures, the scowls, the, 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 the messes. You know, if I, if, I was even, if I was a better man, I would have picture, put, put pictures and video of me yelling at my kids and lecturing them. Because that's who I am. That's who we are. We're not always smiling and, and happy faces and looking cute at Chick-fil-A. We're often like, just eat your chicken nugget. We paid for it. Please, Lord Jesus, make her eat. You know, like we get frustrated. We get angry. But that's the part we don't want to show people. We want to show people our happiness and our goodness. And I don't think I'm alone in that. For many of us, we put on these walls of that, I'm competent, I'm successful, I'm attractive, I'm funny. I'm all of these things so that you will accept me because if I'm not those things, if I don't put on the show, if I don't put on the mask, you won't want anything to do with me. We cover ourselves, not with fig leaves, but with work. We cover ourselves in the arms of another. We cover ourselves with the opinions of our children. We cover anything to do, anything to, to cover our deep-seated inadequacies. I may have failed in my life. I may have done wrong choices. I may have sin that's haunting me. The skeletons are shouting at me. But, but you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm kicking, kicking butt at the PTA. I'm doing good there. I'm pouring all my energy and work and in all my time into work. I'm successful there. I'm doing all the things, I, you know, this person finds me attractive and they laugh at my jokes and they want to be around me. And there we go. And so cover me, cover me, cover me, cover me. But never see me. Never see what I've done. There's that voice inside of us, inside of our heart that's always there that calls you a fool or an idiot. A failure. No good. Worthless. And we're doing everything we can to ignore and or drown out that voice. So how do we kill it? How do we cure it? How did David do it? I mean, think about it. You had a friend of yours, somebody who went to fight for you, die for you because you killed him. How does that not haunt you every single minute of every single day. Every person you meet from here on out, you hope, well, I hope they know the David who wrote the songs and did all the good things for the kingdom, and I hope they never find out about the David who did such a terrible thing. Well, it starts with confession. I'm going to give you two objects of confessions. Okay, One, you confess to God. The second is you confess to one another. Confess to God. David said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. It's interesting, in Psalm 51, when David's writing very acutely about what transpired between him and Bathsheba and her husband Uriah, he says, against you and you alone, God, have I sinned. Now, um, um, David, I think there might have been some other parties that you have sinned against. I don't think David is ignoring the fact that he has sinned against Bathsheba, he has sinned against Uriah. He's actually sinned against the entire nation of Israel. But what David is doing is saying, I'm going to go deeper than understanding that I just let myself down or I just didn't live up to my standards or, hey, I failed somebody else. He says, I'm going to go all the way to the end of the line and say, ultimately, God, 
I have sinned against you. When was the last time you came before God and confessed to him what what you've done? I mean, it's it's weird, Walt, because sometimes we think, well, God knows everything, so he knows that I have done it. Why do I need to confess it? Because God cares about the relationship. And what confession does is it has this amazing power to restore a relationship. But it's got to be a real confession, not a fake confession. This is brief, briefly on this, a fake confession. Think about this. Um, a couple comes to see me, and they're like, hey, our marriage is falling apart. Uh, my husband's a jerk, and uh, you know, he doesn't listen to me. He doesn't take me out. He just takes me for granted, blah, 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 blah. The husband's panicked, okay? Oh, man, I, hey, I will turn my life around. I will do, what, do you, you, what do I need to do? You tell me, I will do it. So she says, okay, well, could you do this? Could you help out here? Could you be home at this time? Could we have a date night? Do this stuff. All right, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. Two months, three months, four months go by. And the fear of divorce starts to fade. The fear of social embarrassment. The fear of the headache of financial expenses. The fear of having to explain it to his parents and the in-laws and see your ex around town has subsided. And the actions that were once promised begin to fade. And the old husband comes back. You see what's happening there? Here's these actions that this man is engaging in. He's afraid of what's going to happen. So he changes his life so the bad things don't happen. There's a time when we can enter into sin, when we can be sorrowful for the wrong that we've done in our life, but we're really not sorry to God. We're not saying, Lord, I have sinned against you and you alone. What we're really saying is, I'm sorry that what I did has exploded my life. I'm sorry for the consequences of what I've done. If the consequences can go away, that would be great, but you're not really changing. It's false confession versus biblical confession. Biblical confession goes all the way to God and says, God, it is you that I have sinned against. It is your relationship that I have torn asunder. But not only are we to confess to God, and this is where the Bible gets really hard, is when it says we confess to one another. You know in the New Testament, in the letter of James, he says, therefore, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another. Now, we're good at praying for one another, but how good are we at confessing our sins to one another? I mean, just let's take a mental calendar right now. When was the last time you confessed your sin to someone else out loud in their presence? I thought real hard about being cute this morning. I thought like, oh man, we could like get pieces of paper and like put a cross up here. Oh, we got a cross right there. And we could like write our confessions out and fold them up and put them away. And then at the end we could like burn the box or bury it or you know, whatever. And it'd be like real cute. And be like, oh, that was memorable. But I thought, that's not biblical. Biblical standard confession is way higher than that. So why don't, why, Jim, why don't we confess to one another? I mean, let's just stop with the prayer. He says, confess and pray for one another. But let's just reel back and make it easier. When we pray for one another, are we asking for prayer for ourselves? Or are we asking for prayer for other people? 
Next time when you're in a home group, next time when we're together and we're taking prayer requests and things like that, listen. Hey, pray for Sally. She's my aunt. She's got a uh, horn growing out of her head. Okay. Poor Sally. That's rough. Pray for Bob. He's, you know, blah, blah, blah. He needs a job. Blah, 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 blah. You know, pray. How often are we, hey, guys, pray for me. My marriage is falling apart. Hey, guys, pray for me. I hate my job. And uh, my boss is, uh, you know, just not a cool dude. Hey, guys, pray for my family. Every time I go home and see them, it just seems like it's toxic and terrible. And, and, and that's, that's dealing with me. Like, I can't, I can't deal with them. I need to be more patient and kind and forgiving. Hey, guys, I'm engaged in this thing. And I just keep, I keep falling into these same sins. Can you pray for me? Most of our prayers are superficial. They're about other people. And it's specifically about their physical being. That's fine. The Bible talks about praying for those things. But what's the ratio of praying for other people and their physical problems to the ratio of us praying for ourselves and our spiritual needs. I don't say this lightly because I think it's easy. Matter of fact, I know how hard and difficult it can be. Because what do you do when you sit around other Christians and you say, all right, Tom, here's Brian Chadwick. Here's the stupid stuff he did in high school. Here's the stupid stuff he did in college. Here's the stupid stuff he did in ministry. Here's the stupid stuff he did last week. What would happen? Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he says this. He says, our brother has been given to us to help us. He hears the confession of our sins in Christ's stead, and he forgives our sins in Christ's name. He keeps the secret of our confession as God keeps it. And when I go to my brother to confess, I am going to God. Do you have a person in your life like that? I have been ridiculously blessed to have about eight people in my life who I have been 100%, well, to my, I probably haven't, but I think I've been as transparent as possible with them. I've confessed to them things that are easy to confess and that they would say, yeah, me too. I've confessed things to them that they said, whoa, that's definitely not something I've done or I can relate to. But you know what I have found in these friendships? Not judgment, I have not been cast out. I have not been scrutinized or beaten. I have been embraced. I have been forgiven. And I have been loved. And it's because of relationships like that I can stand up and preach this to you because I've experienced what David has experienced. The forgiveness and the grace of God through other people. And if you haven't experienced that, I am so sorry. And there are Christians, I mean, there are Christians who are not here today because they have been transparent with somebody and all they met were rocks thrown at them. There is a deep-seated power in confessing to one another. In confessing our sins to God. If there wasn't, then why would the evil one hinder us from doing it so often? So how do we how do we how do we do this? 
It's not easy. It's not like, okay, turn the switch and we start confessing. It's not like, hey, we're going to line up or turn to your neighbor and confess your deepest sin to them. <laughs> you got to have somebody you trust. Somebody you know. Somebody who loves you. And somebody who loves the Lord. And it might take stages. Hey, can we get together and pray with one another? My marriage is falling apart. Can we get together and pray? I just, I, since the time I was three, I've been a liar and I just can't stop lying. Hey, can we get together? Can you help me? Uh, I, you know, I, I feel like I, I've been doing this thing at work. Uh, I've been putting money in a certain thing and, and, and everybody else does it. I'm starting to feel kind of weird about it. Can you pray for me about it? You know, when I'm around my kids, uh, you know, I just don't feel like a good mom. I feel anger at them. I, I despise them. I'm bitter. I just don't, I feel like I should be feeling one way and I don't feel that way. Do you have anybody? To... Here at Blue Ridge, we can't manufacture that. But what we can do is try to create spaces for it. One of the ways that we create spaces is what we call our home groups. These are small groups that meet throughout the week. Uh, their primary goal is not Bible study. You have a group that's just Bible study. It's like, let's get together. We're going to study the Bible. Oh, my life's a wreck. I don't care. I'm going to study the Bible. The real goal of our home groups is to build community with one another. Sometimes in home group, what will happen is somebody will come in and we'll have like, you know, hey, here's what we're going to talk about tonight. Here's the game plan. Here's the roadmap. I worked hard on this. This is going to be great. And their life is falling apart. Do you know what we do? We take that plan, that map, roll it up. How can we pray for you? How can we come around you? What we, what we don't need right now is a lesson. What we need right now is prayer and a hug and we need relationship and we need community with one another. And some of you, you've tasted it. Some of you have moved here and it was where you came from and now you're searching for it. We hope you can find it here. But at the end of everything, we want to at least show you that there is a need for all of us to confess our sins. There is a freedom that is found in confession, a blessedness according to David. And it only comes through the power of knowing Christ. We're going to enter into a time of communion night right now where we're going to take a, uh, a cup of grape juice and a small piece of bread. The grape juice symbolizes God's or Jesus's blood that was poured out for us on the cross. And the bread actually symbolizes his body that was given for us. And I want you to think about how accepted you are by God himself. That as we pass these trays around and you hold on to that grape juice, you hold on to that cup. I want you to think of Jesus Christ who came into the world to give his life for you. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who knows you better than you know yourself, who has seen all your skeletons and even knows their names. He says, in light of all of that, all the shame that you're hiding, everything you're trying to cover up, I'm willing to come into this world and give my life to you because I love you. I've seen your absolute nakedness. I've seen your ugliness. I've seen everything that when you're afraid of people knowing, I've seen it all. And I love you the most. Do you understand the power that comes from that? It should empower us to 
to forgive ourselves. Why can't I forgive myself if God in heaven can forgive me? I should be able to forgive others. How can I not forgive them when God has forgiven me and forgiven them? There's power in the cross. Focus on that power this morning of how Jesus Christ saw the worst in you and gave you the best of him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for Christ. For how will I know what love is without him? Father, I thank you for the the hard, hard work of confession. We do not like to admit when we're wrong. We do not like to admit what we've done. We do not like to take ownership of of our flaws and our sins. And yet, Lord, you already know them. So, Lord, let us own who we are, knowing that if everyone in this room were to leave us, you never would. Father, thank you for that. And I thank you for this community here, the grace that, that the people have shown one another and to myself, the gentleness and the love and the respect, the spirit of God that is moving here. Help us, Lord, not contain that spirit, but to set it free in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, and in our workplaces. We love you, Lord. Thank you so much for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen.